Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I just want to say I think my mother is a queen. That's very nice. Metaphorically, obviously. Unless there's some kind of dynasty that I don't know about. <laughs> And that they've purposely kept from you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if if there were, it would give you a big head. Yeah. Glad I didn't end up with an overinflated sense of self. Yeah. Hateful that happened. Anyway, happy Mother's Day. Yeah. I'm Misty, and I am a mother. So, what do you do for Mother's Day? Drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then. Was that not the right answer? I, it's just a different answer than I expected. You know, well, I, I was expecting brunch. What are we talking about today? Queens. More importantly, though, more important than all that, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. So we have historical queens, Ugh. and then we have fiction, which is much more interesting. Probably most people agree with you. I mean, it's Game of Thrones, Misty. So I don't know anything about Game of Thrones. What do you know? Tell us. I know it's on HBO. Good. I know there's dragons. There are. I think it's like medieval-ish. It's a fictional realm, so that's a good guess. It seems like if Renfest got mixed with The Walking Dead. They're, yeah, okay, yes, yes. I don't know any of the characters. You know a lot. I don't know any of the plots. We, but you know that there's living and dead. Yes. Well, well, yeah. Wait, wait, I mean, I knew there was killing. Are there dead people that are like walking around? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. That was just a real lucky guess. Wow. I was just putting together Renfest in like an apocalyptic show. But you said that word wrong, but yeah, uh, yeah, there are, there are, there, there's a medieval version of zombies happening. Did yeah, not know that. No spoilers. Awesome. No, no spoilers. So I tried to pick out historical queens. Uh, let me clarify. There won't be any season eight spoilers if you haven't watched seasons one through seven and get on it and are concerned. I guess we're going to mention things that happen in those seasons, but. I think most people I will who, not spoil anything for anyone. Most people who care about seasons one through seven have seen them. Yes. So we're I would good. agree with that. Yeah. So I tried to pick out historical queens that I Is Beyonce on here? No. Oh. That I thought maybe would be as interesting as your Game of Thrones section. <laughs> Impossible. So people who like had to climb to power yeah. and had to fight for the throne. Yeah. That's who I picked. Okay, cool. So I want to start talking. About, of course you do. <laughs> about Empress Wu Zetian. Okay. So what country are we the empress of? China. Oh, okay. Yes. So this is part of the Tang Dynasty, which... I um, don't know what that means. So it's a Chinese dynasty. But I think a lot of people, when they think of ancient China, they get the idea of like foot binding and like very submissive women. I don't have any of those images because I... You know nothing? Don't know anything about it. <laughs> So your China information is equal to my Game of Thrones information. I think I know more about China than you know about Game of Thrones, but uh, 600 CE China? I don't know very much. Was there a wall yet? We're, we're not going to even address that. <laughs> so <laughs> talking about women in this era, in the Tang Dynasty. Yeah. All right. So the Tang Dynasty is a time of relative freedom for women. They're not binding their feet. They're not necessarily having to be so submissive. They are able to contribute in the area of culture and politics, especially those from noble families. Might have been educated in music and literature. Wow. The Chinese classics. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. The what century is this? So we're in seventh? The seventh century. Nice. About six eighteen. Okay. It's so weird to think about a three digit year. I know, right? It's weird. All right. So Empress Wu doesn't start out as royalty. So I thought that would kind of work with Game of Thrones. Yeah. But the early records on her life are really, really confusing. Because she wasn't royalty. So she wasn't royalty. She's a woman. But on top of all of the usual problems, mm -hmm. we have the problem that these Chinese records are at some point westernized. And so whenever you see westernization of Chinese names, the names are changed. Mm. So I like think Mao Zedong. Yeah. There's about six different English ways, all technically correct, oh, to yeah. spell Mao Zedong. Yeah. And they all refer to the same guy. Okay. So it's even harder when you're looking at that far back to figure out, okay, are we actually talking about this Wu or are we talking about a different Wu? And there was no word for female emperor, right? Right. So there's a gendered confusion on top of all of this. So is that, is that in, in the Chinese language? In the Chinese 
translations into English. There was not a, a gendered word there. Okay. Right. All right. It's actually very similar to something that happens in Game of Thrones. Oh, good. I, a, I did good. A, there's a prophecy about a prince who was promised and everyone thinks it's a dude. But then someone's like, well, actually, in the Valyrian language, that's a non-gendered word. So it could be princess. Prince or princess. Ah. Yeah. All right. So Wu was born in. You did not care about that at all. No, you not pretended really. pretended really did. well. So she's born into a noble family. Um, not super, super high up in the hierarchy of life, but well enough off that they had domestic servants. Okay. So she doesn't have to concern herself with laundry or dishes or anything like that. What a life. Yeah. So she got to be educated in music and literature. Nice. Also in politics. But at the age of 13, she becomes a concubine That's of the emperor. So concubine here is a little bit, again, confusing because we think of that word and I think our usual translation is like sex slave. Yes. In this connotation, it means lesser wife. So it's a... We're in a polygamous situation. Polygamous situation. Okay. And so... And she, she is much younger than the emperor. Uh-huh. And she would be a lesser wife. Okay. So still not great. Not great, but not considered a terrible position. Okay. For someone who was born of her station. Okay. So she is, like I said, a lesser wife of the emperor. She is about 13 or 14. When she enters into this relationship. That's not great either. But. Not awesome. Their relationship is not considered particularly intense. So we do think that they had some sexual contact, but maybe not often or not in any kind of regular fashion. Because she has no children with the emperor. Okay. Which is important. Because when the emperor dies, all of his lesser wives that have not had children with him, generally, usually, typically, would have been sent to a monastery. Oh. So they are removed from life. That's pretty messed up. A little bit. But it's better than like having to kill them. Is that my only other option? Yes. Oh. Yes. Gosh. <laughs> All right. So she doesn't stay in the monastery very long because the emperor's son has become infatuated with her. Oh, God. All right. So, the so, new so okay. She's married to the emperor. Yes. He dies. Yes. She goes to a monastery. For a hot minute. Yes. Okay. We're using slang now. <laughs> um, his son. Yes. Is obsessed with her. He's interested. I'm not going to say obsessed. Okay. What gets her out of the monastery. Gets her out of the monastery and brings her home to be his concubine. Oh, okay. Yes. So she's now the concubine of... So these are not great choices. Dead in a monastery or a concubine. Right. Okay. So she becomes a favor favored concubine. Is she a non, no longer a lesser wife? She's still a lesser wife because he has a main wife. Oh that's the God. empress. This is crazy. It is. It is. I tried to find one that was going to match Game of Thrones. This is. I think this might be crazier than Game of Thrones. Okay. So the ranking system of the concubines is really, really complicated. But the best translation I could find said that she is the highest ranking of the nine concubines who are in the second level of ranking. How many wives does one man need? Apparently enough that we have tears. So there are nine in the second rank. In the second rank. And she's the favorite of the second rank, which is right below Empress. Okay. So he has at least 10 wives. At least 10. At least 10 wives. Yes. And she's second favorite. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is where it gets crazy. I feel like we've passed that point, <laughs> but sure. So Wu is going to decide that she wants to become the Empress. Nice. And that's a much better option. <laughs> well, hold on, though. Okay. But to do that, she has to get rid of the actual empress. And so what the historical record suggests is that she strangled her own infant daughter and then framed the empress and the emperor believed her. So the empress is replaced and Wu becomes the new empress. What? Yes. That's so horrifying. Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's real messed up. But that's awful. Yeah. I was really excited about a female empress. Okay, so she doesn't do badly as empress, actually. Okay. She does pretty good. She gets to share power co-equally. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's not typical. Not typical at all. And then about five years into their marriage, he has a stroke. So she takes over the administrative duties. Basically, she's kind of running things because her husband is incapacitated. 
No, okay. But the power is through him, right? She's sure. just the consort. Sure. So it would be unusual for her to have fully assumed the throne on her own. So she does create, though, a secret police force because she is worried about her opposition or the people in the court that don't like her. And she does go Wait, out. wait, 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 wait. She created a secret police force. Yes. To spy on people who... Maybe would try to do to her what she had done to the previous empress. And then she had people jailed or killed? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So, even the people that hate her admit that she was actually kind of a good ruler once she got there. Okay. She helped root out corruption. She had a heart for helping the commoners. And then when the emperor dies, we have a new power struggle. Her oldest son ascends to the throne, uh-huh. but she and her oldest son don't actually get along all that well, and he's not that good at the job. So she arranges for her younger son to replace the older son. And then she claims that her younger son has a speech impediment. So she says, okay, he's ruling, but I have to do all the speaking for him. Wow. Yeah. So all of this is incredibly unusual. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but also because there's a traditional Confucian belief that says having a woman rule would be as unnatural as having a hen crow like a rooster at daybreak. So the idea that we have a woman here fairly early on in China ruling, whether or not it be through men, is outside of both the political belief and the religious belief of the time. Oh. But she's defying convention and she's doing it anyway. In order to get people on board with this, she is going to start challenging Confucian beliefs and she starts having scholars write about how these beliefs might be wrong. Uh, So one thing that she has scholars do is write biographies of other famous women. And she's going to try to raise the position of a mother within a clan and gives her own maternal relatives these high political posts and power so that they're treated with respect and dignity and kind of legitimizing her claim to the throne. Yeah. Uh, She also is going to attempt to say that an ideal ruler is one who rules like a mother does over her children. Huh. Yeah. But, you know, like she has a favorite child and she put that child on the throne. She also killed one of her children. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So in... She's a real Cersei Lannister, if you know what I mean. I do not, but I'm going to learn later. Okay. In the year 690, uh, Wu's youngest son is going to remove himself from office and she is declared the emperor of China. Oh. Yeah. So now she's, she's ruled as a wife. Yeah. She's ruled as a mother. And now she's ruling in her own name. Okay, that's interesting. So by this point, she has changed the cultural beliefs surrounding a woman being in charge. And so it is pal- at least enough for herself to do it. So it's palatable enough mm-hmm. for her to become the empress. Yes. So as she takes over for herself, she is going to reduce the size of the army. She is going to try to get men to realize that more emphasis needs to be placed on diplomacy than war. Okay. And she starts to open government positions, not to just those born in the right families, but based on merit. So oh, she do this okay. through qualifying exams. Uh, she also, again, like I said, had a real heart for commoners. So she is going to try to lower taxes. She is going to let them keep more of their agricultural production. And she tried to strengthen what little public works exist at the time. As she gets older, she also begins to lessen the power of her secret police. Even though she herself is still kind of superstitious and fearful, she realizes that a secret police doesn't look great. It has bad optics. Yeah. So then in the year 705, she is pressured by her third son to give up the throne. She's 80 at this point. So it's not a matter of, hey, you're a woman. It's you're old. You're old. So I have a question for you. Sure. Obviously, if you are a person telling the story. Yes. You can be very selective about the details that you tell. Right. And you can make her a real kind of feminist hero feminist folk hero yes. right because she's an empress she's the first empress of china she does these things for commoners she tries to lessen the stratification of the society she lowers taxes she emphasizes diplomacy she i mean yeah there's some real positives here right? refers to ruling this as you know being the mother of a country so all of those things are wonderful And in some ways inspiring, I suppose, especially if you're not given a complete picture. Right. Right. And uh, and then even if you say, you know, she started as non-noble or non-high ranking and she or she started as his wife and she ended up being in power in her own right. All of those details are great. But given 
you know the, the ruthlessness the murder and the secret police and the jailing of those who opposed her and the this, killing of her own child the silencing and the killing of her own child and you know basically making you know her other child voiceless like how do you think we should tell this story should i mean so i'll admit that um what we just did are like hidden highlights I mean, you could read whole biographies of her. Sure. And there's much more depth to the story than we just gave it. Yeah. Having said that, no one person should be viewed as entirely good or evil. She's a complicated human being. And I think the only thing that makes this remarkable to us is that she's a woman. Men have been doing this kind of stuff to get on thrones since we began having thrones. Right. I mean, and we grow up hearing a story about, you know, King Henry who killed, you know, I don't know, five of his wives. Right. He killed two of them. Okay. He killed two of them. Yes. But we're told this story as though it's neutral. Yeah, like It's, it's just a not, thing that happened. It's not like, what a horrible person. I don't think you're wrong. I don't know. I just don't know how to feel about this story. There's things about it I want to celebrate, but I feel like you can't celebrate this person. But also, the historical context in which she committed these acts... It can't be ignored, for ...is sure. not something that I'm super familiar with and something I can't ignore. So I don't know. I mean, did she do it because she's thirsty for power? And But then she used the power ultimately mostly for good. So it's not like... I mean, she's not Cersei Lannister because she doesn't use her power to just gain more power. Well, I mean, there was nowhere else for her to go. She reached the pinnacle. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what she would have done if there wasn't. Well, I mean, you can take over other countries. Yeah. I mean, she could have tried. You can raise taxes and you I know, guess, yeah. amass more wealth. There are things you can do when you have yeah. power to get more power. I, I feel like for her, she accomplished the goal she set out to. Like, she became emperor. I don't think she felt like, I need to do more. Huh. I feel like that was what she wanted. And then she could put into place the policies that she really cared about. But you think that this... That her specifically her bad acts are uh, are only remarkable because she's a woman. I'm not saying only remarkable. I mean, like anybody that kills their own child, I have questions about. Obvious. <laughs> Obviously, I have concerns. Uh, but I think if she was a king doing this, it wouldn't be unusual in history. Huh? We've seen kings go out of their way to eliminate rivals to the throne. Sometimes they're siblings, even. Yeah. And this is not all that far out of that realm. It's just that we have a hard time envisioning a mother doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to show the story because I think it shows that, I think sometimes, especially like in Women's History Month, there is this push to like only talk about the good. Yeah. And women are complex. We're not all good and we're not all bad. People are complicated. Yeah. And, and this is a complicated person. And that's actually something that George R. R. Martin has said about the female characters in Game of Thrones. That they're complicated? Well, no, that he said some women hate the female characters in the show. But importantly, they hate them as people because of things that they've done, not because the character is underdeveloped. Male or female, I believe in painting in shades of gray. All of the characters should be flawed. They should all have good and bad because that's what I see. Yes, it's fantasy, but the characters still need to be real. To me... This is still him talking. Being a feminist is about treating men and women the same. I regard men and women as all human. Yes, there are differences, but many of those differences are created by the culture that we live in, whether it's the medieval culture of Westeros or 21st century Western culture. So he's saying the exact same thing, right? Like what's important is to show women as real people, not to show women as flawless, perfect, nothing but respectable so you want to talk about another real life woman? Not really, but this I'm one's less violent. Kidding. I'm just kidding. I love these stories. So I also want to talk about Isabella of Castile. Okay. So back in the day. Give me the year. I'm very, years are very important to me. I'm very historically minded. <laughs> 1452. So in 1452. Hold on. Was that the year that Columbus found America? No. Oh, that was 1492. Yeah. And Isabella's the one that sent him. Oh, Okay. Well, I knew that part. Well, she wasn't born and okay. then sent him. I just remember that it rhymes with the word blue. So it could be 52, 62, 72, 82, 92. I don't know. It just, I know that it rhymes with the word blue. Okay, anyway. So it's 1492? 1452 was when she's born. 1492 is when Columbus sells the ocean blue. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So when she's born, Spain is not a United Kingdom. 
So we actually have a bunch of little kingdoms that have not yet united. Oh, I didn't know that. So she is born in Castile, which is one of these smaller kingdoms. It means the land of castles. She's the second child of John II, but she'll end up being third in line for the throne. She's got an older half-brother, Henry, who is 26 when she's born. Whoa. Yeah. And then a younger brother, Alfonso, who is two years younger than her. But he's but ahead he's of male her. Because he's male. So mm. it's oldest male, next oldest male. If there's any other males, the males. And then oldest female. Okay. So similar to how Queen Elizabeth got her throne. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I think they all work pretty much the same. Yeah. So the only reason King John even has Isabella and Alfonso is because he is concerned about his older son. Henry. Henry. Henry's been married for seven years and has not produced a child. Oh. So if King John dies and Henry takes the throne and then there's no child, there's no heir. And that could mean civil war. Yeah. So As he- seen on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so John's very concerned about this. And I guess I have to say this. So uh, King Henry's name in history is King Henry the Impotent. Oh, okay. There's also some question. He does eventually have a child. And there is some question about the paternity of that child. Okay. But we're skipping ahead. Well, I mean, still, that's, you know. Is that in Game of Thrones too? No. uh, I don't, maybe. Somewhere in there, I'm sure. But I was just going to say, like, that's that's his name in history. And so that's viewing him from a very traditionally masculine gendered perspective as well. Well, and also, if you think about this, Isabella eventually wins. And so it's her historians that got to write the history books. Oh, yeah. So she's going to refer to her brother as Henry the Impotent. And she hates his wife. So that might also be some of the reasons that there's some question about the paternity here. All right. So King John dies in 1454. And Henry, being the oldest, becomes king. So she was only two. She was very young. Yeah. So Henry, supposedly to keep them safe, sends Isabella, Alfonso, and their mother away from the court basically isolates them okay because he knows that he's not popular and he knows that this younger brother could be a rallying point for rebels okay sure so he's trying to remove them from the court and especially because he does not have an heir yet so he has to annul his first marriage then he gets a new wife and eventually he is going to have a child in 1462 ideally he would have had a boy that didn't happen so he has joanna as soon as he has joanna he feels like it's safe to bring his half-siblings back to court. Okay. So they get to come back. Now, um, there is some thought here by historians that he brought them back maybe just to keep a closer eye on them so that they can't be plotting okay. or planning anything. So this is not a family full of people who trust each other. Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. And how was Il- Isabella raised? So she is raised early on by her mother, and her mother's extremely religious. Okay. So that Catholicism... It runs deep in Isabella. Okay. Uh, Henry wants to make sure that the kingdom of Castile is safe. Mm -hmm. And so he sees Isabella as a marriage pawn. He can marry her off and then create alliances. I mean, he's also going to try to do the same thing with his daughter. Yeah. I mean, that's super, super common. I mean, that's why you had a princess, right? (laughs) You know that old saying? You need an heir and a spare. So you need two boys and then you need the girl to marry off. I didn't know that. Yeah, an heir and a spare. All right. It's so, a lovely way to think of your own children. Yes, isn't it? All right. So Henry wants Isabella to marry King Alfonso V of Portugal. Okay. All of these families are interrelated. Awesome. So this would be like her great uncle. Gross. And also a cousin because the family lines are very blended. <sighs> he now is- we're getting into some real Game of Thrones <laughs> stuff right here. Okay, he's a widower, and he is 20 years older than her. Not great. No. And she knows if she marries him, she's going to lose all of her power. She's yeah. just going to be a consort to right, the king. Right, because he's royalty, and he's much older. And, and he she's going to have power. to leave her home country. Okay, yeah. So sh- that's not who she wants to marry. No. So while she keeps pretending to go along with this arrangement that her brother is negotiating on nice, her behalf. Nice, nice. She's actually negotiating on her own an agreement with Ferdinand of Aragon. So he is a year younger than Isabella, and he is the sole heir to Aragon. He has been battle-tested. He's been to war. Where's Aragon? It's another one of the small nations that will make up Spain. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's one letter different than a land from Lord of the Rings. You don't care about that, so continue. Sure. All right. So basically, the long and the short of this, 
is that she has this engagement that's secret. But then... Hold she, on, hold on. So she is pretending to her brother that she's going to marry the king of Portugal. Yes. Afonso. Mm-hmm. Who is her cousin uncle. <laughs> yes. Uncle cousin? Whatever. In reality, she's secretly planning to marry Ferdinand. Yes. Who is the son of a king of a neighboring... Kingdom. Sp- Spanish kingdom. Yes. Okay. Who does she end up actually marrying? She marries Ferdinand. Good. So they meet and they have this marriage. But what's kind of interesting about this is that when they were both very young children, like one and two years old, they had previously been betrothed to each other. That's creepy. It's a little creepy. I mean, it's creepy to think about who a one-year-old is going to marry. That's creepy. Yeah, but it's all about... I mean, I I guess it's cute because they eventually fell in love and actually did get married, but... Well, and it's also about creating all these alliances, right? The problem for Ferdinand and Isabella is that they are cousins. They're second cousins. Jesus. So when they had originally been betrothed, they had to get a papal dispensation saying that this marriage was okay. Because they're cousins. Because they're too closely related. And, And popes wrote these things all the time. These are like parking tickets for them. They give them to everybody. So this relationship early on, it's about politics. Like, because Steele and Aragon are going to try to unite. Isabella is protecting herself from her brother. But they eventually end up having a really nice romantic relationship. Good. Yeah. They have a good marriage. The thing that's unusual about Isabella at this point in her life is that she has a lot of conditions in her marriage contract. Like what? What do you mean? The way it reads is almost like a prenup today. Okay. So most of the time when a queen got married, you transferred all of your power and your land and your money to the king and you become the consort. Right. That doesn't happen with Isabella. Okay. Till the day she dies, she maintains her own court, her own power, her own money in Castile. Nice. But her children would inherit a united land from her and their father. The two together. Yes. Okay. But she herself, until the day she dies, has her own seat of power. Nice. So if he doesn't want to do something, she can do it without him. I like it. Yeah. She's really interesting that way. So how does she become queen? The way that she became queen is that Henry found out about this marriage. Yeah. And he's a little upset. I would think. So he removes her from the line of secession. And she waits it out. Because she knows she's more popular than Joanna. Joanna might not even be royalty. Because remember, we're questioning her parentage. Oh, yeah. So Isabella waits until 1474 when Henry dies and then immediately proclaims herself queen. Cool. About two weeks later, Joanna tries to proclaim herself queen as well. How'd that go? Not great. Um, And Joanna is going to attempt to keep the throne in Castile by forging an alliance with Portugal and marrying King Alfonso. Oh. The same king that Isabella was supposed to marry. Her uncle. Her uncle. Yes. So Isabella does spend the first few years of her reign fighting a bloody civil war. So she beat Joanna for the crown. She beat Joanna for the crown. And I got to say, this is the opposite of Empress Wu. Because Empress Wu did like all of these terrible things. And then got power and then was a good... And then like did good things, right? Isabella's been like very shrewd and very politically minded and kind of made all the right steps. Yeah. Then she becomes queen. And the power corrupted her. It's not necessarily the power corrupted her. It's that she has a sincerely held, very deep belief that it is her job to re-Christianize all of Spain. So she's going to launch the Reconquista, which is driving all of the Muslims and the Jews out of Spain. Sounds violent. It was violent. So you had the choice to convert or to leave or to perish by the sword. My God. And then she reconquers Spain. Spain is now a Christian nation. And it's united. And it's united. But, and here's the big but, but we're still suspicious of those people that converted. So how do we know that they really converted? That they're not secretly practicing these Don't other religions? Don't tell me there's some kind of list. How about an inquisition? Aww. So under Isabella, we have the Spanish Inquisition. Not great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot factually about the Spanish Inquisition, but I know... wasn't fun for most people. But I know how it is used metaphorically, right? So, like, yeah. when someone is being treated very, very poorly and they say, this isn't the Spanish Inquisition, right? It has notoriety for being violent and unfair and 
full of torture. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's it's pretty close. And yeah. that happened under her rule. Uh, something else that's a little bit different about Isabella is that when they were actually conquering Spain or reconquering Spain, as she would yeah. believe, most of the time in the Middle Ages when we have war, it's the kings that go out with the armies and fight the war and the queens stay back home and have the children and make yeah. sure the home yeah. and the hearth are safe. That's not Isabella. Because again, God gave her this mission. So she's actually out with the armies leading, not leading campaigns, but being with the campaigns. That's kind of cool. So I think these are both pretty complex. Yes. Female. And also she sends Christopher Columbus to the new world. So she, are you saying that like it's a good thing? It's good and bad. (laughs) I mean, I like living here. Yeah, for sure. But I don't. I don't. He was a dirtbag. Yeah, she did tell him and all of the other conquistadors that are going after him that part of their mission is not just to conquer land, but also to convert the souls of the Indians and to save them. So again, it's a sincerely held belief sure. that she has. It's not for any sort of gain on her own, but uh, she does believe that all of these souls that are being quote unquote saved in her reign will be counted towards her in heaven. Like God will reward her for these things. I don't, I don't like any of that. So <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. And I, I, I mean, I know that you chose these two specific female monarchs because they had this kind of intrigue, but a lot of these same ideas are recurring Mm-hmm. in game of thrones i wish you would watch it i mean i i buy it just seems like a huge investment i mean eight seasons but there are only like 10 episodes per season it's not like walking dead okay so i want to talk about game of thrones because i think that we're going to find a lot of recurring themes here awesome so i told you how george r, r. martin the author of the original series of books And he's also a consultant producer on the TV show. Although what's happening in the show now extends beyond what he wrote in his books. Meaning that the books are done and the story is continuing or meaning that they're just diverging? Mm, He's supposed to be writing another book, but we don't have high hopes for that. Uh, Because he's too busy with his TV show? Multiple TV shows, yeah. Oh, okay. So, and now there's going to be a prequel. It doesn't... So He's got stuff going on. Yes. So what's happening in the show takes place after what happened in the last book. But we know what his philosophy is about complex female characters. Right, we just talked about that. And then he wants realistic, but not necessarily good, female characters. And so he's fine with people hating the female characters on the show. Not because they're female. Right. But because of what they do. Right. Because they're these emotionally complex. I mean, that's what we do when we watch a show that's really, really good um, like this or Breaking Bad or something else that most American humans, Misty excluded, watch and discuss as we talk about whether we like or hate someone. And there are some characters who are pretty universally hated, some who are pretty universally loved, and then most of them we debate who we like or who we don't like. They're somewhere in the middle. Right. So it's based on a portrayal of human beings, their relationships with one another, and the social political structures that help or hinder them depending on who they are. So depending on your social status, your gender, where you're from, the social and political structures might help or hinder you. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. So it's these portrayals of personal political struggles that make Game of Thrones seem very realistic, but also what a lot of people would refer to as feminist, because it reveals how social structures are impediments to women when they aren't to men. Does that make sense? Yes. I am not at this time prepared to tell you whether I think the show itself is feminist, but I do think you want to wait till it ends. I do think that that model of depiction of social structures gives it a a feminist tone. Daenerys, she's the lady with the dragons. Oh, okay. Okay. She's headed for the throne. I mean, Daenerys is obviously trying to become queen. Ned Stark's daughters become, well, one of Ned Stark's daughters becomes the lady of Winterfell. Uh, Cersei wears the crown. She is the the ruling, reigning queen of Westeros because her husband died and then all of her children died. How do you say her name? Cersei. Cersei, okay. Her oldest son was murdered because he was a dirtbag. Her second son killed himself because of the horrible things his mother had been doing. And then her daughter is killed by political rivals. So she is the ruler 
of Westeros. She's wearing the crown. She sits on the throne. So Cersei is a less complex character. She's the first female ruler of Westeros, but she's almost entirely bad. There are scenes, uh, like a scene where she's publicly shamed in the streets. And when I say publicly shamed, I mean... They shave her head. They take oh, wow. off. They take off all her clothes, and they make her walk down a public street naked while they yell the word "shame." So she is shamed in the streets, and we can mostly agree when we watch scenes like that that she's being treated unfairly, and that she's being treated extra unfairly because of her gender. There are other scenes like her son being murdered, or her her daughter being murdered, where we understand that she feels sad, and we see that she loves them. But we are not meant to ever really side with her. The show is not setting us up to relate to Cersei, to feel sympathy for her. I mean, I think there's a generic sympathy for a person who loses their child. But I don't think... you never feel like, oh, if I was pushed in that way, I would totally react the way she just did? No. No. Okay. No. So this Uh is not a case of... The events around her harden her to this point. This no. is like her internal being has been corrupted. Right. Okay. So, I mean, she's married to the king. She has three children. The father of all three of those children is actually her brother. Oh, oh, okay. Not the king. Wow. Yep. Special. Sansa, who becomes the Lady of Winterfell, uh, she goes through a great deal as well. She starts out the series as a very kind of stuck-up teen. We don't really like her. We like her siblings a lot more than we like her. She wants to be queen. She wants to be a princess. She wants to have nice clothes. She sets herself up as wanting to be very feminine. Um, Her sister Arya is what some people might call a tomboy, although, of course, that makes makes you adhere to gender stereotypes. But Arya wears traditionally non-feminine clothes she wants to fight she wants to shoot arrows um she's interested in being you know in the outdoors so Sansa sets herself apart from Arya and she wants to be royalty and feminine all of those things are eventually used against her oh okay she's dressed up as a trophy she's physically and sexually assaulted she's married actually three times to different men as some kind of political maneuver that's not uncommon in like historical right royalty eventually she finds her way back home she becomes the lady of winterfell and she is grown up she's just she's thoughtful she's confident she's kind she makes sure people are fed she thinks ahead she so this is compromises supposed to relate to uh she's one that is debated so my husband still does not like her because of her earlier her earlier years and because she's not she doesn't always make the decision that I or he necessarily would make, but she is a very realistic, complex character. You see exactly where she's coming from, and you can understand how and why she's making the choices that she is. There's a great deal of conversation about the depiction of her sexual dis- assault, but we are meant to see her as a kind of model of how much patriarchy can take from a person and how many obstacles are in the way of women who want to be successful. And the show is really showing us that women shouldn't have to overcome such great odds in order to become satisfied, functioning human adults. So her path is admirable, and her character is very complex and realistic. And she rules over Winterfell, which, if you care, is the northernmost territory in Westeros. Is that something you care about? Not, not really. No. Okay. Who, who sexually assaulted her? Her third husband. Okay. So it's okay. Ramsay Bolton. Okay. So Daenerys, her father was the king right before the show started. So the show starts. Okay. So it opens. Basically, okay. well, a, a, a few years before the beginning of the show, her father was the king. Okay. He went mad. He was murdering people like in the streets. And so they refer to him as the mad king. He was killed because of the way he was ruling and treating people, and his throne was taken away from him. Oh, okay. So Daenerys believes that she's the heir to the throne. Obviously, her father was the previous king. Right. There's a direct lineage. Yeah. She doesn't really dispute that her father was was a bad person or the mad king, but she thinks that she's still the rightful heir. She There's um, still a bloodline there. And she also is showing us a great deal about 
patriarchy and the social the social structures in the show she rises to power by liberating like a great deal of slaves oh okay and these people then become her army voluntarily okay yeah and she is married off by her brother she's kind of sold as a bride to earn that army and she gets those people to become her loyal followers. So she is building coalitions, but she's also not afraid to use the force of her dragons, her army, her ships. Her, you know, she has a great deal of power and she demands that people respect her as the rightful queen. And so she's very famous for saying that people should bend the knee. Okay, I've heard that. So she is a different model than than Sansa is. And she's also someone who a lot of people think should become the next ruler of Westeros. This is a real dumb question, but I don't watch the show. So she's the dragon queen, right? Or queen of... She Mother of dragons. Mother of dragons. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But not everyone has dragons. She's the only one. She's the only one. Right. Okay. And she has not many dragons. Oh, so this isn't like a, a herd no. A horde. I don't know what a bunch of dragons are together. A flock. But there are things that she does that, you know, people will debate. And that makes her a complex, realistic character. Jon Snow is another character who people think has a right to the throne. And she tells him, sure, I'll help you fight the army of the dead, but you have to bend the knee. Like, you have to admit that I deserve to be the queen. You have to call me your queen. Uh, and you have to bow to me. Otherwise, I'm not going to help you. And she's doing so, all of this in her own name. So she's not allying herself with a man and saying... Oh, no. It's okay. Daenerys. Okay. First of her name, in fact. She has many titles. Oh, okay. Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, all of these things. So she sits on a throne of her own. She has her own guards. I mean, she presents herself as a queen and demands that people treat her as one. And so it's challenging for her because she at even at one point says a lot of people aren't used to being led by a woman. And so she acknowledges, honestly, a lot of the things we were talking about in our last episode or two episodes ago, that being a woman leader, when we were talking about has lady bosses, unique challenges. Right, has these unique challenges where if you're tough. Right. It's like that cycle. Yeah. So she is, in my opinion, has a rightful claim to the throne. I'm not going to say the rightful claim to the throne. What are her interactions with the other female characters like? So she works very hard to build an alliance with Sansa. And I think it's very genuine. And she says, we've both met a lot of people who aren't used to being led by women. She hates Cersei and will kill her upon sight. Ah, oh, okay. But, but you're I not mean, there yet. <laughs> most people would want to kill Cersei upon sight. So that's not just Daenerys. There's a lot of characters to keep track of in this. Yes. I mean, like, I'm having to look at a Google Doc of pictures <laughs> just to keep track of what you're saying. Another important question to ask when you think about whether Game of Thrones is or isn't a feminist show is how the show itself handles sexists. Okay. Yeah, that's important. The show is full of patriarchal misogynists because that's the society and the social structure that's built in. But people who are avid, active, malicious sexists, we've got several. So Joffrey Baratheon. Okay. Ramsay Bolton, since I was married to both of them. And Walder Frey, he's a very old man, are kind of the three who come to mind the strongest in terms of very overt and really violent sexism. Okay, so not just... They're just foul. Okay. Much of their... And are you meant to see that? Like you're, Yes, okay. they are hideous from the very beginning. You are meant to see them as hideous. So this isn't like a redemption storyline. No, and not for any of these three. And it is very clear that the show wants you to see that their hideousness is rooted in misogyny. Like, they are awful. Okay, because? Principally because of the way they treat women. Awesome. Not awesome, but I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> so 
it's clear from the very beginning the show does not want us to root for them ever at all never uh there are characters who do awful things and they do have redemption storylines these three are not among them and all three of them get what i would say is their due walder frey he's the old man okay he has many wives he treats them basically as interchangeable he treats his daughters as tradable property very similar to people you were talking about in history he derides women for their appearance he silences women at every turn. He kills a family, most memorably. And the show has a female, Arya, who's really like a girl, like maybe 17. Like a child? Not a child, but she's like 16, 17. Okay. Ambush him, kill him, impersonate him, and then kill all the men in his family. Oh, wow. Okay. This is dark. Yes. And so she's able to impersonate him. And when impersonating him, she poisons all this wine. And then at this big family gathering says, you know, I don't want to waste any wine on you women. So women don't have anything to drink. And then I'm going to toast all the men. And so it's it's a great moment because that's definitely something Walter Frey would do is not let women have any wine to drink. But it's also a way to make sure you kill all the men and, right. none, of, and none of the women. And then, of course, to have him be killed by a woman is right. also pretty remarkable. And you are meant to be rooting for Arya basically the whole time. Okay. Joffrey, who was briefly king, he's... Cersei's son. This he, is the one that you said was a... Did you say dirtbag? Was that your term? I don't know. I've said many of them are dirtbags. <laughs> it's very hard for me to think of things to call them without cussing. Yeah. So, you're so having to like... that's what I'm going to go with. But yeah. Um, he makes fun of women like all the time. He won't wear flowers, even though it's traditional to wear them as part of your like royal outfit. He is married to Sansa and he has her beaten. He has her kind of jailed. He is just gross. I mean, he makes one person beat up a female prostitute basically for his entertainment. He That's um, horrible. Yes. He's a sadist, right? So he'll like have women stripped naked in front of him. He's awful. Okay, he's also killed by a woman in the end. So this could be hard for some people to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the end, um, he's killed by a woman through the use of poison. And in fact, there's a point earlier in the series where poison is referred to as a woman's weapon. That makes sense. Implying that, right, that women are indirect or deceitful, like we can't kill someone in their face. Well, and it lacks the physical strength, right? Like poison, you don't have to be the strongest person in the room to use it. Yeah, but it's also kind of underhanded. Like it's a sneaky way to kill someone. Or cunning. So Lady Elena Tyrell kills Joffrey, I think at his own wedding. Oh, Poisons him. And because she does it sneakily, she gets away with it. Until the moment of her death when she tells Joffrey's father, oh, by the way, that was me who killed your son. She already knows she's going to die at that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Ramsay Bolton, who is maybe the worst of the worst. I'm not really in the business of ranking these three churds. But Ramsay Bolton is eventually fed to his own dogs. So. Okay, then. <laughs> but he's the one who very violently assaults Sansa. So, so you're not meant to feel I'm, I'm not, I, nobody sympathy could. for him. No. If anything, at that moment, you're supposed to wonder whether Sansa is becoming too similar to him because she, oh, okay. right, she commits violence against him. I mean. Again, I'm not crying about it. <laughs> I am not crying about it. So. In terms of representation, it's not great. And you noticed this earlier when you were looking at photos of the cast. I was just trying to figure out who's who. And it's like white person, white person, white person, white yeah. person. So there, there are a few characters who are gay. And in, in this very severe patriarchy, that's much easier, although not easy, but it's easier for uh, women who are lesbians or bisexuals than it is for men who it's are gay. It's more accepted. Right. It, or it's actually more they're more able to ignore it um it's definitely not accepted but they'll look the other way i guess there are some characters who are people of color they all come from essos which is a different so like a neighboring kingdom or yes okay you, let's just say other lands okay. across the sea but many of them were slaves who were freed by daenerys okay and so the show dips its toe into discussions of race it talks about 
different races being treated differently when Daenerys's army arrives in very homogenous Westeros. The black characters are stared at. You know, they do acknowledge to one another um, that they don't feel welcome. And so you see it, but it's not something that gets a very rich or nuanced discussion in the show. So is Residence? this a, a criticism you have of the show then? the rep- So here's my thing. It's a fantasy story, right? It has dragons. So we're not in the realm of realism. Right. And so it... It could have more people of all kinds all over the place. A fantasy story gives you the same opportunities that a s- outer space story gives you, right? You can you have can create new social structures, all and new, yeah. kinds of people. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect opportunity because you don't have to rely on historical realism, right? That said, if the show wants to make some kind of commentary about a white-centric society, it only has a few episodes left to really make that commentary. And I don't see it being a serious part of the show. So it hasn't done that yet? Not really. Okay. I mean, there are lots of people who want to overthrow lots of things about the society, and Daenerys among them says that she wants to help people move out from under this wheel that rolls over them that's one rich family to another taking over the throne kind of in alternating steps, but that over most other people, it just rolls over them. She says it in a much better way than I do. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream. Stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. But people don't really talk about the fact that it's a feudalist society and that there are these few rich families who basically call all the shots for their region and all of the other families. I mean, that feels very accurate historically. Work for them and serve them. So That, that seems right on point. I feel like if we're going to overthrow society, we should address the feudalism. Yeah. And maybe the racism. Do you think it's just outside of what the show is? I mean, I think the show can only address so many things. Right. And I think... Well, and it's not on our television shows to really comment on every aspect that we might want them to. Right. I mean, that's our agenda for the show, not the show's agenda. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So what about representation behind the scenes? Because you know I care about that. It's not good at all. Tell me. Which is disappointing because HBO has a better record than most networks, uh, but not on this show. So out of 19 listed directors, because different episodes right, of course. directed by different people. So out of 19 listed directors, none are female. That's not great. No. There are 73 episodes, and each of them has multiple writers. Again, understandable with the show that this is complicated. Right. So of them all, only four of those episodes have had... At least one woman writer. Only four. Out of 73. There are a few female producers and one female cinematographer. And there is going to be a spinoff. Oh, really? It's a prequel. Yes. Oh, okay. And it's it was conceived of by a woman, Jane Goldman, and she will produce and run that show. So we will see if that show has better female representation behind the scenes. Right, I, I'm really surprised that only four of the episodes have a single woman as a co-writer. That I really thought that number would be higher. Yeah, because there are so many female characters who get so much screen time on the show. You'd think it would be more of a priority to have female writers. Well, I'm just thinking of the amount of money this <laughs> show generates that I would think they would want all these different points of view in the room yeah. for a more in-depth and nuanced portrayal. Like That really shocks me. So I think overall, the show itself on screen values women. The people who sell their siblings or their family members are ultimately punished. The people who, the, the, the women who endure these obstacles are made to both be strong, confident characters, but also show us that they shouldn't have to endure these things in the first place. I think the show values women and shows 
a variety of women in terms of personality and type. Again, there's not a lot of age or nationality or racial representation, but in terms of its depiction of women, I think it is successful. There are points of controversy, as we've discussed, um, and again, I'm going to wait until the show's over before I tell you whether I think it's, you know, hashtag feminist, or <laughs> feminist registered trademark, you know, like whether I right. would brand it that way. I don't know. This episode of our podcast has been interesting to see how much overlap there is with yeah. the fictional and historical. It's a lot. Yeah. It's more than I thought there. I mean, I, I specifically <laughs> chose ones that I hoped would have it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of overlap. Here. I mean, f- from the relatively trivial details. Mm-hmm. that are in common to the bigger ones. So, I mean, yeah, historical or fictional, I think all of these stories kind of illustrate what women are capable of, which, yes. which, by the way, is literally everything, and also what continues to and has historically impeded women, which is, again, <laughs> basically literally everything. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's important to remember that monarchy is, by its very nature, about privilege and exclusion, And so watching what people use their privilege for is really important. Right. And it's when we're judging the legacy of a historical figure, I think you hit on this earlier, but I just want to reemphasize it. You have to take in the whole legacy. Yeah. And that can be complicated. And it's so tempting to just be like, this is a good person. This is a bad person. And most of us don't fall that easy. And it seems like your fictional examples here. Yeah. Fairly similar. Yeah. And again, like, do you rise to power and then use your power to make things better? Or do you rise to power in an effort to accrue more and more power? And well, and even your version of making things better. Better for who? Better for whom? Yeah. I mean, Isabella believed she was making things better. But she was. But I think a lot of people would say that. The Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. not, not Not so awesome. Humanitarian. So overall, you recommend Game of Thrones? I do, absolutely. I have a recommendation for people. If you don't want to watch Game of Thrones... Nobody wants to read a book instead of watch Game of Thrones. Like, literally no one wants to do that. But if you did, or if you want to do both, the book I want to recommend is Isabella, the Warrior Queen. And it's a relatively new 2015. So it was good. I highly recommend it. Game of Thrones has this huge cultural reach yeah i've been new stuff about it and i don't know anything because about so many people watch it and talk about it and because even people who don't watch it now you can't escape it will perhaps one day watch it in the future right who it chooses to feature and who eventually wins the game is going to matter yeah and that's why I'm hesitant to say i think it is or isn't a feminist show because there are a lot of things happening in season eight that really could take us one way or the other. Well, and sometimes you don't even see those full impacts until years later. Right. It's on the reviewing of it. But what the show values is going to be revealed in the way the show concludes. Right. I mean, that's the truth of books as well, right? Yes. And it's not necessarily, oh, a woman wins, so it's feminist, a man wins, so it's not. That's not what I'm looking for at all. But how does it treat the reach and the power that it has because we're talking about how people who attain power use their power but i'm also talking about the power the show has right how does it use its power to To create or shape these cultural conversations exactly yeah hey misty yes what's next in your lady life queen so i realize that i have not formally congratulated you so congratulations oh for what i mean there's so many things it could be for for being nominated for the Chancellor's Award for Exemplary Teaching. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Congratulations. Thanks, Misty. <laughs> What's next in your lady life? Well, I guess now I have to congratulate you. Yeah, you should. For being nominated for the Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Teaching. And before you all think that everyone is nominated, Misty and I are the only ones from our campus. And I think it's mostly because of the podcast yes i think so (laughs) i'm sure it's because of our teaching but let's pretend like it's the podcast thank you for listening to this episode of profess hers our podcast about seeing movies culture and history through our lady eyes i'm misty and you're definitely a meister i don't know what that means it's a a (laughs) night of the mind oh okay because you're just reading books and stuff got it yeah and i'm allegra And I'm definitely a Tyrion Lannister.
I'll tell you his catch line. Catch line? Catch phrase. Catch phrase is I drink and I know things. Ah, I've seen that on shirts. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Which is extremely great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email at ProfessHers at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend or mortal enemy. And remember, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Jon Snow.